0: Good morning, friends. Thank you for joining us again, and welcome. Uh, we talked last time, we just start about, started uh, chapter five. We did the first seven verses, which describes a yogi, a sannyasi, and then a jnani, somebody as they get to from being a bogie like each one of us are, uh, to being a yogi, and then a sannyasi, and then a jnani. Which uh, I don't want to go into right now because we already did that last time in episode, what was it, 54? 54, yeah. 54. Um. Lou, you had some comments that you made to me after we got off.
1: Uh, It was interesting. You and I are both big Patriots fans, and, of course, Bill Belichick is the quote for people outside of the New England area. And I've always had this idea in my head that Bill's a very philosophical guy, and a lot of the things he talks about seem to apply to a lot of the things we talk about here. All I could think of in Episode 54 while you were talking about getting away from the opposites and all that was Bill saying it is what it is, being even-keeled, acceptance, and getting away from— uh, worrying about the the past and you know the whole we're on the Cincinnati thing that was about I can't deal with the past I got to keep moving so it's acceptance it's even keel it's uh, getting rid of the opposites in his life this seems to be yeah. he seems to have a very philosophical bent but you don't realize it till you start getting into these things you think it's just football. But I think it's a little bit bigger with him sometimes. Well, you know, he's he's a winning coach. yeah.
0: And you can't be a winning coach or winning anything unless you have a very philosophical attitude. If his attitude as a coach was, I just want to win, right. uh, he's not going to get there. And Part he of- does.
1: He, it's not like he denies that like and dislike. He dislikes losing and he likes winning, but he sets it aside for the greater good. You know, we do what's right. best for the football team. And, and you see that when there's... there's... There's like a minute left in the game and, you
0: know, how calm he is because he says, I have to do what I have to do, whether it is for the game or whatever. He's not just thinking a different way, which is, I just want the fruit of the action. I just want the fruit.
1: Yeah, and and perhaps you and I talked before we did the show about Tom leaving, Tom Brady leaving. This might be one of those situations where I have to do what I have to do. I have, right. do, Let's, I have to do I have to do the greater good. I want Tom to be here, but I have to do I have to do I do have to do the sacrifice here.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It, and it would be proof if I don't know if we're going to have a season this year <laughs> or not, but yeah. if we have a season, the question is how does he relate to it? Yeah. How does he relate to Tom Brady's absence? Yeah. But that takes us far afield in a way. Let's talk about verses um, 8 and 9. Mm-hmm. They're lumped together, they're taken together in chapter 5 in the Gita in And in in verse 8, Krishna says, The one who knows the truth, united with the self, which is the Atman, thinks, I do nothing at all, whether it be seeing or hearing, touching, smelling, eating, going, sleeping, breathing, speaking, releasing, seizing, opening, closing eyes. He is convinced the senses move among the sense object. So here, what he's saying is, something that each one of us has to repeat to ourselves over and over and over again. I used to do this, when I first started this, two things used to stick in my mind all the time, is to keep repeating it. Aham brahmasmi, which is, I am Brahman. You have to keep saying that to yourself again and again. I am not this small little person that I am. With the name that was given to me when I was born. That's not who I am. I am Brahman. I am the great Brahman. I am. And the second thing that used to keep saying, I used to keep saying to myself is, that thou art, right? Tat uh, asi in Sanskrit, tat That thou art. You, again, it means the same thing. You are that. Yeah. That with a capital T. So, aham brahmasmi and Tatwamasi, masi. And in this verse, he says, I do nothing at all. I doesn't mean the small I does nothing at all. Um, people don't shouldn't misunderstand this to say, I'm just going to sit there and right. say, OK, the Gita told me I can, don't have to do anything at all. You have to act. You must act. You must act as hard as you can and with sacrifice towards that higher ideal. But recognize that you as the atman are doing nothing at all right you you this you're not doing anything but the seeing the hearing the touching all of this is happening because you as the atman is providing life to your body to your mind to your intellect and each one of these things mean Something different. So one of the things that I didn't understand when I first read it, because it's not given in a lot of places, where that word's uh, releasing. You can understand seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, eating, going or walking, uh, sleeping, breathing, speaking, releasing. I said, "What is releasing? Mm-hmm. What are, what am I releasing?" Um, and uh, uh, one of the Swamis basically said, "Releasing refers to." releasing from your body the impure um, uh, food objects after you imbibe them. You know, that's a part of the world too, of your life. You have to release. You have to release the carbon dioxide from your body. You have to release urine from your body. You have to release the feces from your body. You have to release the sweat from your body. Mm -hmm. I, the Atman, enables that to happen, it happens on an involuntary basis, I'm not doing it, the sweat comes involuntarily, but the kidneys produce this urine, but it's the Atman that is allowing it to happen, but I do nothing. The seizing, which is the hands, whatever it is that one takes, opening and closing eyes, he's convinced. Now, what he's also saying is that the sense, senses, the sense organs and the senses move among the sense object. So while they're moving about the sense objects, the atman just goes along. It's just a witness. Right. Remember I talked in the previous episode about a sadhu, a sage, going about asking for alms, A-L-M-S, alms, which is he goes to a house, knocks on the door and says, please, uh, I'm a sadhu, please give me something to eat. And the woman of the house gives him something that maybe he doesn't, is not too fond of, but right. he eats it. Yep. But at some point, the sense object that he gets or something sweet, a dessert, he eats it, he has to like it. He likes it, but he, the senses move among the sense object, but he's just a witness. The He, the atman, the self-realized person's atman, is a sense, wow, this is nice, I like it. But he puts it and he goes on. So the first spiritual practice or sadhana is to gain knowledge of all of this. And as you get knowledge, a lot of this becomes a lot easier for you to put into practical uh, use. In Sanskrit, it says shravana, manana, and nididhyasana. So shravana is listening, That's what you're doing right now. Manana is contemplating, thinking about what it is that you listen to. And in the sixth chapter, we'll talk about Nidityasana. Every thought is with I. Right now, when you think everything, I am the doer, I see, I saw, everything is the I. Aham means I, and ahamkar means I am the doer. And that's the arrogance. Aham indicates actually the self, not I, the small act. Right. Then he talks about tatwa. Tatwa means the essence. Tatwa vid means the essence of the self. It's a subtle and great sadhana. And a tatwa vid should always think, "I am not the doer." I meaning the atman. I'm not the doer. We have to keep doing, but know that I'm not the doer. Constantly think this to say, "I'm not the doer. I'm not the doer." Now we start. I started off by saying. Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. Now, you have to add to that, I'm Brahman, but I'm not the doer. I, the self, am not doing anything. Prakriti, which is nature, is doing it according to the laws of nature. That's another aspect that I'm laying on to this. Now, you remember we talked about Prakriti being like the hard drive, that for generate, for lives, many lives, all of our desires and our actions and our karmas are all engraved onto that prakriti that we carry onto ourselves. And that prakriti, that nature within us is doing it according to the laws of that prakriti, nature. So similarly, we are like an atom, so tiny, but capable of immense explosive power. You put all these atoms together, you split them, they can be like nuclear power. Right now, I'm I'm engrossed in my thoughts, so it prevents me from recognizing my greatness each one of us, but just like an atom, there is enormous power within you. Enormous. Um, we can talk about this some other time. The Atman doesn't do anything, just like the sun doesn't do anything. You may think, well, here's the sun. Without the sun, none of this can survive.
1: Right.
0: Trees can't grow, plants can't grow, you and I can't survive. The world, the earth, wouldn't survive. But the sun is there, yet the world sees the sun doing all this, but the sun doesn't do anything at all. Prakriti does it all. That is verse 8 and 9. Verse 10 is, if a sannyasi dedicates all his actions to Brahman, and he does not have any attachments, he is not tainted by sin, just like a lotus leaf by water. How does the sannyasi relate to action? In this way. He acts, but like the lotus leaf where the water just spills over and goes off. A sannyasi dedicates all his actions to Brahman and because he has no desires of any fruit, whatever happens to those, he just says it's given to Brahman. So he doesn't do it for himself, is just absolved of any sin, nothing uh, reflects back on him. Verse 11, the yogis having abandoned attachment perform action, merely by the senses, by the body, by the man, and intellect for self-purification. This verse talks about how does the yogi relate to action. The yogi's goal of purification is self-purification. That's his goal. A bogi, somebody who's just looking to indulge himself, is now, who is attached to his organs of perception and sense organs, indulges freely in their objects of desire. And those desires then just keep multiplying because the desires keep increasing. Um, They keep increasing their vasanas and desires because of that, as opposed to a bhogi, a yogi is determined to purify himself. He functions without involving his physical body and his sense organs, or his mind, or its emotions, or his intellect, or its thoughts. He is focused on reaching his spiritual goal, so he doesn't keep thinking about what he's getting out of this. And we talked about that in the previous episode, how a yogi um, does this without selfish motive, and therefore he gets past that. And the last verse, which is verse 12 in this topic too, the yukta, which means the united one. some abandons the fruit of action and thus attains eternal peace. The ayukta, non-united, is pushed only by his desires and is attached to the fruit of his actions. Therefore, he is bound. And we talked about this in the last episode, where we talked about what being bound meant, being bound by desires. So, my friends, sorry, this one was a short one, um, because it's just, this whole chapter is very short. It's only 29 verses. Um, But this topic, which is the second one, is a small one, but we'll catch up with it next time. And we'll do verse 13 to 19. So, thank you for joining us. I hope you can get onto Facebook. And go on to the Facebook uh, site, which is The Gita, Memoirs of a Psychiatrist, and send me your comments, criticisms, suggestions, uh, and questions, and yeah. I'd be happy to answer them. You can also listen to this on SoundCloud or
1: any podcast. Am I right, Lou? Yeah, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, almost anywhere you find your podcast, you can find The Gita, Memoirs of a Psychiatrist.
0: And thank you so much, all.